Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. On this edition of the Pigpen Podcast, we'll preview this weekend's matchup between the New York Giants and the football team. We'll discuss the idea of moving Kendall Fuller to the free safety spot, and we will have the latest on Dwayne Haskins and his relationship with the coaching staff here in D.C. That's all coming up. Drag up that diesel. What's good? This is the Big Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore Day on Twitter. We got a lot to tackle this week, a lot of things going on here in the nation's capital. We got a game preview coming up. We'll do that on the back end of this podcast, what is sure to be a very, very strange football game because between two teams that, quite frankly, are not very good. Yet somehow, our team is the underdog, according to Vegas, to the team that hasn't won. We'll dive into that. That's weird. It's something we need to discuss. Um, we will touch briefly, as I mentioned, on Kendall Fuller, but I want to talk, I want to open this podcast with uh, some of the Dwayne Haskins stuff because it's continuing to get stranger and stranger. Dwayne Haskins is still out with a stomach bug. Today is Thursday that I'm recording. He missed practice again with the stomach illness. Ron Rivera, you can tell, is getting irritated with some of the questions, which is understandable, but also the media have to do their job. And when the quarterback, who was starting a few weeks ago, who is now benched and is now not showing up at the facility with a stomach virus or due to a stomach virus, there are going to be some questions involved. Because quite frankly, this is a pretty lengthy stomach virus. Now, I'm not a doctor. I understand things take time to heal. But if Dwayne Haskins is coming into the facility, it means he's at the very least healthy enough to move. And you would think that he understands his body. So there are some questions, right? There are some obvious questions 
that we don't know all the answers to. And we're trying our best. The media is trying their best to uncover these answers, but we don't know all the answers to. It is just the latest, though, on what has become a very, very interesting dynamic shift in the relationship between Dwayne Haskins and we can call it Ron Rivera. We can call it just the organization in itself. I don't know how inseparable or separable uh, the idea of Rivera and the organization are. I guess that's more up to personal preference. But it seems at this point we know that Ron Rivera is completely in charge of all things personnel. So for the better part of this conversation, we will just continue as if Rivera and the organization in this instance are kind of the same thing, if you will. Well, the bridge between these two is maybe not 100% burned at this point, but it's certainly not great. It, it reminds me, I grew up in the public school system, and one of the electives that we were forced to take in middle school was tech ed, which if you know anything about me and if you should know anything about me, I am terrible at like building things. I'm terrible at drawing, painting, like anything that involves uh, adequate use of my hands in terms of hand-eye coordination and skill, I'm not very good at. I often make the joke that my only real skill is talking and pushing buttons, which is why I work in radio. And it's partly a joke, but it's one of those jokes, you know, that's true. Uh, like, there's, it's not even coded in elements of truth. Like, it's fully true. I'm good at talking. I'm good at pressing buttons. And that's how, that's how I always have been. So when I was in tech ed in seventh grade, I wasn't very good. But in the Loudoun County public school system, one of the projects that we did in tech ed was building bridges, like small little bridges out of plywood. I think it was plywood. I don't know. It probably wasn't plywood. It was like this really crappy wood that Loudoun County Public Schools provided. It was like twigs, basically. It was very, very bad stuff. But we were in charge of crafting these bridges. And to my credit, as a guy that is not a craftsman or a builder, I built a bridge. It was a bridge. You could tell it was a bridge. And to me, that was a win. But in this class, we had like the, this um, contest. Like, you want to see how much weight your bridge can hold. Not surprisingly, my bridge could not hold any weight. But it was still, in fact, a bridge. But the thing is, if you were to see my bridge from across the room, like if you walk into the room, the tech ed shop, as they called it, at Mercer Middle School, if you were to walk into the room and see my bridge in the corner, you would think to yourself, oh, you know, Denton made a nice bridge over here. Looks pretty good. But as you get closer and closer to the bridge that I made, the more you would want to take that comment back because you would realize this bridge is terrible. Some of your beams aren't even connected on one side. How are they even standing up? How is this working? You have an abundance of glue that is not supposed to be in certain places. Did you even measure these things out? Which I did. I just, again, I'm terrible at it. But as you get closer and closer to this bridge, you realize things are not what they seemed when you walked in the door. And I feel like that is the perfect antidote and the personification of what we now know to be the relationship of Ron Rivera and Dwayne Haskins. Because in the offseason, it was like walking into the tech ed shop. Just knowing their relationship after Ron Rivera said, Dwayne Haskins is our guy. We Yes, we had a little bit of conversation. We had a little bit of dialect on whether or not Ron Rivera was going to draft Tua Tungavailoa. Of course, he didn't. He made the right pick in drafting Chase Young. And then eventually he would go on to say Dwayne Haskins is the guy. 
Well, this offseason, after Ron Rivera said that, he praised his quarterback. We saw Dwayne Haskins working out. Dwayne Haskins' leadership was praised. We saw him being a lot more vocal in the community. And all in all, at least from the outside looking in, it seemed to be a great offseason, and it seemed like Dwayne Haskins was poised for success. But now we're five weeks into the season. Now we have walked significantly closer to my bridge in the Tech Ed shop. And we can see that this bridge isn't completely destroyed yet. It is hanging on by that small smidge of glue, or in my case, uh, awkwardly big smidge of glue, that was meant to repair something that I didn't necessarily build right the first time. That's what their relationship has become. We are now five weeks into the season for our young quarterback that was supposed to be the future of this franchise, and we are now having to evade trade talk of this guy. There are reports circulating on the internet. Teams are interested. Ron Rivera is getting pestered about, is Dwayne Haskins on the trade block? Has he requested a trade? All of these questions are happening, and the guy, meanwhile, isn't playing. He's called into sick not once, but five consecutive days in a row. And maybe he is sick. Like, I don't want to play doctor here. I don't want to get in on Dwayne Haskins' actual physical health. Lord knows if I can't build a bridge, I damn sure can't detect a stomach virus. I don't know how any of that stuff works. But it's very clear that something is not aligning with these two guys. And look, here's the thing when it comes to trade talk. Let me just touch on this very, very quickly here. Because Ron Rivera was asked, has Dwayne Haskins requested a trade? And his response was, I'm not talking the business of football. You don't have to be a super investigative journalist. You don't have to be someone that just wants to cause turmoil, you know, the evil media, fake news, whatever you want to call it. You don't have to be that person to recognize that's not a good sign. If Dwayne Haskins hadn't requested a trade, or if there had been zero talk of a trade, Ron Rivera straight up would have said, no. That's how you kill trade rumors. Now, maybe they would still circulate a little bit because something would be posted on the internet and it would gain some steam, but you kill trade rumors by answering them directly and saying, no, there has been no talk of a trade, there has been no ask of a trade on Dwayne Haskins' behalf, that hasn't happened. But by deflecting, you essentially give us, the outsiders, the answer to the question, which is that yes, internally or externally, there has been real conversations in regards to Dwayne Haskins getting traded. That's what that means. So their relationship, this bridge, is folding under the pressure. I think the goal when I was in seventh grade tech ed, you want to see if the bridge could hold 60 pounds of pressure. To pass, you needed to hold 20 pounds of pressure. But the goal, the winner, held like 60. That's as far as a little machine could go. My bridge just barely passed. It got to 21 pounds, and that's it. And then it cracked, and it folded. And it was a surprise to no one. I don't know how you would relate those pounds of pressure to where the relationship between these two guys is at the current moment, but it's hovering right around that 20-pound mark. And it's destined to come crashing down sooner rather than later. Now we just beg the question, what can our franchise get in return for Dwayne Haskins, if anything? And the scary part is, you probably are not getting a lot. 
I've seen some people float around, oh, well, you know, then what if they can get a second or third round pick? If you think the football team, based on the way they've handled the Dwayne Haskins situation and based on the way that Dwayne Haskins has played in his limited amounts of starts, if you think they're getting anything near a second or a third round pick, you're nuts. That's not happening. There is not a football team out there that is going to give up a second round pick for Dwayne Haskins right now. Because you have to look at every other team's quarterback situation. We're in a very unique time in the NFL landscape. A lot of teams either have their quarterback of the future or they think they have their quarterback of the future. Or they have their quarterback that is soon to be the past and they're just aging. But they have a plan in case. No one's giving up a second-round pick for Dwayne Haskins except for maybe the Jets, but even they're not going to do it because they think they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. It's a bad time to trade a quarterback. In fact, it's never really been a good time to trade a quarterback. So if you're hoping for a second or third round pick, I have some very bad news for you, my friend. It's not happening. This bridge, I still have a, a small glimmer of hope. I don't think it's officially, officially burnt yet. But damn if it's not close. Quickly, before we get into the preview of this weekend's matchup between the football team and the New York Giants, the winless New York Giants, I want to discuss the Kendall Fuller moving to free safety speculation idea. I've seen a couple times on Twitter. I know it's not the first time that I've seen something like this this week. I know it's something we've kind of uh, discussed at length on Twitter, maybe not at length, but I've seen it before this week, the idea of Kendall Fuller moving to free safety because our defense has some issues with the safety spot. That is not a surprise to anyone that's watched these games. We have some holes at the safety spot, and our corners have actually been playing pretty solid. And the one guy that I would say really has been playing far and above solid is Kendall Fuller. In fact, he has been nothing short of fantastic in the games he's actually played. He has three interceptions already. He has a pass breakup. So that's three interceptions and a pass breakup. The total number of that, add that up, that's four. Quick math there. According to Pro Football Focus Washington, that puts him at second at the position. He's allowed three receptions in the games he's played, which puts him at first in the defensive back category. And the passer rating against Kendall Fuller is 16.2, which puts him at second. I didn't do deep research, but I would just be curious as to who who was first in that category of the pass rating. But what I'm getting at, and what the gist is, is that Kendall Fuller is not just playing good so far through his short time this season. Kendall Fuller is playing at an elite level. And it's a very small sample size, and I recognize that. So I don't want to get too over the moon here when it comes to Kendall Fuller. But he's playing so far at an elite level, and that's not something we can just kind of skip past. We have to recognize that. And that's my biggest, not fear necessarily, but that would be why I would maybe just maybe want to slow down just a little bit on the conversation of moving Kendall Fuller to free safety as he is playing at an elite level at the corner spot. Because it's been a very, very long time that we have had a guy that can quite literally shut down a portion of the field in coverage. At a certain point in time in Josh Norman's tenure here, 
I do think he was capable of doing that. As much fun as it is to poke fun at Josh Norman, as great as watching him get stiff-armed right back to, I mean, Coastal Carolina by Derrick Henry on Tuesday night football, which the Tuesday night game thing was weird, but watching Josh Norman get stiff-armed was fantastic. I enjoyed those moments, but I do also enjoy some of the moments Josh Norman had here in D.C., and for the very beginning portion of his tenure, he was playing oftentimes at an elite level. His interception numbers were never great, but a lot of the times teams just weren't throwing at him. So it's been a, a, a few years since we have had a guy that can, quite frankly, lock down a portion of the field, and I feel like it would be counterproductive as we see Kendall Fuller perform at this level to just decide, you know what, let's just move him. We need help in other areas. He's playing elite at his position. Let's just move him somewhere else. And the idea is to get more of our cornerbacks in play, like our ball-hawking guys, because quite frankly, between Ronald Darby, who I think has been solid, Kendall Fuller, who of course is playing at elite level, Fabian Moreau and Jimmy Moreland, those, those guys can attack the football. So ideally, you want to have them all on the field at the same time as frequently as possible. I just don't agree with moving Kendall Fuller now. I don't know if he is the guy that absolutely needs to be the scapegoat that moves out of position and is forced to learn a new position on the fly. I mean, you can argue his salary makes him uh, the go-to option. We're paying you all this money. You should be willing to take the move. And it's not that he wouldn't be willing. I just think from a defensive perspective, if you have a guy that's playing so great through three games, keep him at that spot until you need to move him. And maybe try out someone else, whether it be Fabian Moreau or Jimmy Moreland. I don't know if either of those two guys realistically are fit to be a great free safety. And in fact, I would argue maybe don't put Jimmy Moreland at free safety. Or, or I can't forget uh, Cameron Curl as well. He's been playing really solid for us uh, through the first five games as well. Maybe you experiment with moving him to the free safety spot. It's very clear the safety position needs a little bit of a shakeup on our defense. I saw DeShazer Everett getting a little bit of play time this weekend, which is not something uh, that has normally happened. So they're at least trying something. And I'm with you when it comes to adjusting who is back there because we have seen time and time again that the Collins and Apke duo, not fantastic. It almost makes you think maybe the team got a little too trigger happy when it came to releasing Sean Davis. But also at the same time, if Sean Davis was the guy that ended up getting released in favor of Troy Apke, maybe just maybe Sean Davis our prime offseason signing, which sounds weird to say, but he was a pretty big signing at the time. Uh, maybe just maybe he was really not all that he lived up to be in general. So maybe it was good to get him out of there. I don't really have these answers to these questions, but when it comes to the actual question of moving Kendall Fuller, I am not with it yet. I'm not saying I won't change my mind after this weekend. I'm not saying I won't change my mind after three weeks. Maybe maybe four weeks, because we got to buy we get three weeks. So four weeks. But as of this moment, as we head into the New York game, I don't think it's smart to move him yet. Wait until there's a legitimate reason. I guess maybe you don't want to wait until there's a legitimate reason. I understand both sides here. And this this is my problem with a lot of these things. I understand both sides. But I think now the best bet is to keep Kendall Fuller because I do think very quietly he is not just becoming a guy that can shut down a portion of a field. He is becoming a guy, and we're paying him like he is a guy that has the capability of shadowing the number one target. And I think that's crucial for building a really strong defense. 
being able to shadow the other team's number one wide receiver and say, no matter what, this person's not going to beat us, whether that be uh, Amari Cooper, which it almost seems silly to shadow Amari Cooper because I really don't think Amari Cooper is all that special. I'm very glad we didn't pay him that historic contract, if you couldn't tell. But you get the idea. There are some good receivers that we are going to end up playing this year, and Kendall Fuller can just say, we're going to put you on him, shut him down. And he now is seeming like he has the the capability of doing so. So pump the brakes a little bit on moving him to free safety. But I will say we can revisit this later in the season, and I might be more uh, open-minded about that move depending on how the next few weeks go. All right, let's talk this actual football game here. We got the Washington football team and the New York Giants. The Giants are winless, yet somehow Vegas has them as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, or at least they opened as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. But when I look at the the almighty ESPN win projector, football power index, whatever the hell they call it, we have a 52.7% chance of winning this football game. Take that for however you take these numbers, which quite frankly, I don't take them very seriously because that number makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I was, though, a little surprised by the three-and-a-half-point favorite matchup in favor of the Giants. I'm like, wait a second, they haven't won a football game. And prior to this week against Dallas was an historically terrible defense at this point. I mean, Dallas's defense sucks. And prior to this weekend, they hadn't scored a touchdown since week two. It's, the Giants' offense is not a good offense by any stretch of the imagination. Once they lost Saquon Barkley, any sort of explosiveness that offense had was completely gone. Now, I will admit, because again, I was very heavy on Dwayne Haskins this offseason and leading up to the season. I got the Dwayne Haskins versus Daniel Jones thing wrong, at least up to this point, because one of the guys is playing and one of the guys is calling in sick to work. So I'll award Daniel Jones that W now, even though I don't really think that Daniel Jones is anything spectacular as a quarterback. I think he's decent at best, but the Denny Dimes nickname is whack. He doesn't deserve it. People people gave Baker Mayfield a ton of crap for laughing at him when he was drafted. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield was smart to do that. It was disrespectful, yes, but I mean, how wrong was the guy? I mean, how much respect do you give a quarterback that's 0-5 this year? Probably not a lot, right? I don't want to harp on Daniel Jones too much here because the quarterback situation with our franchise isn't exactly stellar either, and I recognize that. But I just don't think Daniel Jones is all that spectacular when he doesn't have an elite playmaker like Saquon Barkley with him. But enough about that quarterback. Let's talk about our quarterback. What are we going to see from Kyle Allen this weekend? That's like key number one of this football game. What are we going to see from Kyle Allen? He moved the ball in that one touchdown drive that the team had against the Rams. And he looked good while doing it. And then he ran out of bounds, got hit. Scott Turner called that play selfish, which was strange. Our coaching staff needs to maybe shut the hell up in front of a microphone every now and then. Like, I enjoy it because I'm media. And because I like talking about things, and it's kind of my job. But it would be really nice if they just stopped saying things, right? Like, some things just don't need to be said in front of a microphone. So I I didn't really agree with Turner calling the quarterback out like that. But that aside, 
what are we going to see offensively from Kyle Allen? Because to this point, the New York Giants defense is certainly not bad. In fact, they're actually pretty solid this year, all things considered. They're like middle of the road, but high middle of the road. So they're they're technically top half of NFL defenses. So not a bad defense, not a great defense. Statistically, a little bit better than our defense, but we know that the numbers don't tell the entire story with our defense. I don't think they do, at least, because we're putting them in bad situations with a lot of three and outs, and we won't get into that debate now, but I would say our defense is slightly better than the Giants' defense, but the Giants' defense is not the Dallas Cowboy defense. Kind of what I'm getting at there. But they are worse than the Rams as well. So if Kyle Allen could move the ball against the Rams, I'm expecting him to do something similar against the Giants. If he can't, if Kyle Allen cannot move the ball against the Giants, what is the point of this? We put Kyle Allen in to win football games. If he can't move the ball against a defense that has yet to win a football game, and if he can't lead our team to a win against a team that has yet to win a football game, what was the point of making the quarterback change? What was the point of leading us down to this road of turmoil where we are talking about Dwayne Haskins and a stomach virus on a, consider, on a consistent basis? A considerable, a considerable amount of my time and energy has been spent thinking about Dwayne Haskins and a stomach virus. I don't need that. If Kyle Allen can't beat this team, what is the point? That's a serious question that we have to ask because after watching Alex Smith, while I thought the moment was great, uh, he's not ready yet to be a starting quarterback in the NFL again. You know, he's still knocking off that rust, which makes sense. He was out for like two years. Like, uh, Let's use our brains here. I get that. But I want to see Kyle Allen do some things offensively, put it together, and then, of course, stay healthy, stay on the field. And I do think a degree of that revolves around play calling. And that's where we'll jump into the next key. A lot has been made about the Scott Turner play calling I'm not a guy that calls plays, right? I don't know the difficulties of calling an NFL football game. I know there are many difficulties in it, but I don't know all of the the minute details. What I do know is that I want to see deep shots. We are in week six, entering week six of the NFL season, and we might have thrown maybe one pass in the first quarter over 20 yards. I think there was one to Terry McLaurin and... Not the Cleveland game, but the Baltimore game. I think Dwayne tried to throw it to him once deep in the first quarter, and it just it just wasn't there. There was a little bit of a communication breakdown. But other than that, we have not thrown any deep passes in the first quarter. Can that please change this week? Please. We need explosive plays. I love a screenplay. I love some some early runs. But taking the top off of a defense early on is a great way to put your offense at the advantage. It's a great way to get everybody on the offense in rhythm because it's more than just the quarterback that needs to get in rhythm. Get the offensive linemen really enjoying themselves a little bit. Lord knows they need any sort of help they can get. So getting them in a rhythm is is crucial. We need to see shots down the field, and we need to see them early. We have playmakers at the skill positions that can get down the field. Obviously, we have Terry McLaurin. Obviously, we have Antonio Gibson, who him getting down the field a little bit different, but I'll I'll see a wheel route to him. I'll see a wheel route to McKissick. I'm with it. I think a major, major key to winning this football game is that Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson both need to get in the end zone. 
both of those guys. Those are top two playmakers on offense. Both of those guys need to get in the end zone. And I think that guarantees a win. The football team does not lose this game if both Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson score. Because that means the offense is actually moving. And they are utilizing the playmakers that they have. And then hopefully means that someone other than those two has decided to step up in the football game. And there are more than just those two guys' threats. But if Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson both score a touchdown, the Washington football team picks up their second win of the year. It is really that simple. On to the defensive aspect of things to look forward to. Uh, Don't make Daniel Jones look like a Hall of Famer. I feel like in the past we've had a tendency to make quarterbacks that are not that good look really, really good. And Daniel Jones, quite frankly, has not been that good this year. His two touchdown to five interception ratio is something that I enjoy. Let's continue to build on that interception spot and let's keep the touchdowns to two. It's really that simple. This is a guy that you can make turn the football over very, very easily. Get some pressure on him. Unleash Chase Young a little bit more. Let the defensive line just kind of have a little bit of fun with the Giants offensive line. Daniel Jones is not at the point where he scares me as a quarterback. From a defensive perspective, let's not help him get to that point. Don't make him look better than he is. Make him look like what I think he is, which is a quarterback. That's it, like just a quarterback. Not a great quarterback, not a good quarterback. Daniel Jones is, I think he's just a quarterback. Let's make him look like just a quarterback. The Giants offense has scored five touchdowns this year. Six total touchdowns as a team, one of them was defensive. They've scored five touchdowns this year. Let's keep it that way. This offense isn't exceptionally explosive. Slayton is good. He's coming off a great game. We know that Evan Ingram has talent. But Daniel Jones hasn't done a great job of utilizing that. The offense under Jason Garrett hasn't done a great job of utilizing that talent. Let's not turn Jason Garrett's lackluster offense into something explosive this weekend. I'm sorry if you have Giants players on your fantasy team, but I hope they don't sniff the end zone. They've had a couple games where they've only scored on field goals. Keep it that way. Keep it that way. Terry scores, Terry scores, Gibson scores. That's a Washington football team winner right there. Boom, bat, it's really that simple. Easier said than done, yes, but it's that simple. I am interested also in seeing Slayton versus Fuller. I do think Slayton is a nice young talent. I don't think he's Terry McLaurin, but I think he's a nice young talent in the NFC East. And I think Kendall Fuller is playing at an elite level. Slayton's coming off one of his best games as a pro. Technically, it's like his third best game yardage-wise, if you really want it. That's not like a fun statement, though, right? Like, he's coming off his best game ever. That's a fun statement. Like, his third best, eh, whatever. But he's coming off a really good game. It just so happens he played against Dallas, and Dallas can't guard anyone. So I'm anticipating the 129 yards that he had last week, Slayton did. Not expecting that this week. Not at all. Fingers crossed, but I'm just, I'm just not expecting that. As far as the actual outcome of the game, we'll get back in the win column this week. I think the football team defeats the Giants. I don't care what Vegas says. I don't care what ESPN's football power index says, even if it does favor us. None of that matters. You don't play football on paper, on a calculator. You play it on a field. I think the football team gets the better. I think Kyle Allen outplays Daniel Jones, and I think we win 28-17. to 
and both Terry and Antonio Gibson score a touchdown. Love to know your thoughts at Denton underscore day on Twitter. Let me know who you got winning, what the score is. And with that, we're out. Enjoy the game this weekend. I'll see you Monday for the recap pod. Peace. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.